Today on Blue 58, we start our position-by-position look back at the 2019 season, and where better to start than with the quarterback. So here we go. 45 minutes on Tim Boyle. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. It is that time. We're looking back at the 2019 Packers position by position. We're actually going to be doing two position groups per episode here until we get through everything on the Packers. So we're going to kind of alternate offense and defense, well, two two of each or one of each for, for each episode here. Starting with quarterbacks, we'll also take a look at some special teamers today. But before we get to that, I wanted to introduce something or bring it up more formally, something we've talked about before, the idea of doing a book club. I've thrown this out as a poll on our Twitter page, twitter.com slash thepowersweep. Check it out there if you're interested in voting. I'm I'm exploring the idea of doing kind of an off-season book club uh, for people who follow this podcast. The idea is that if we're trying to become smarter Packers fans and we can do that together, what better way to do that than through reading something that will help us understand the game better? So the idea would be we'd pick a book, read through it, a chapter a week, and then in one of the episodes that I do on a week, I'd spend a part of it uh, giving some of my thoughts on it, reading some thoughts from you. That way it would kind of be like we're having a, a book discussion together. Early return seems like it's a pretty close split. If this is interest, something that you're interested in at all, go and vote on it. I think if there's enough people that vote and say they're interested, even if it's not a majority, we'll try to find a way to make it happen. I'm probably going to be reading these books anyway, so we might as well do it together and make it kind of a community thing. If you're interested, go vote. I think it'll be worth your time. So quarterbacks. We're talking about quarterbacks and special teamers. Let's dive into the quarterbacks first. As a position group, there's not a whole lot going here on here other than Aaron Rodgers, but we're going to talk through everybody the Packers got at these positions. So we'll work from the bottom up on the depth chart. Manny Wilkins. We've got to start with Manny Wilkins. Don't forget that Manny Wilkins existed. He was on the practice squad for all of 2019. So obviously there's not a lot to say about Mr. Wilkins. I like the idea of keeping a practice squad quarterback around if you're not going to have three on the active roster. If there's a guy that you like at all, you might as well keep him around. Find a way to keep him in town. Develop him as much as you can. Just see what there is to see there. It's probably worth your time. We really, other than that, haven't moved the conversation forward much on Wilkins since the preseason, so we're just going to move on as well. I think they should keep him around through the offseason at least. If they thought he was worth keeping around through the season, might as well take another look at him unless they draft somebody or get somebody they think is, is just leagues better. So If they don't add significant quarterback talent, they might as well just keep him around and see what they can do in training camp. But again, there's not a lot to say about Manny Wilkins because nothing happened since the preseason last year. Tim Boyle got 21 snaps for the Packers in 2019. He was 3 of 4 passing for 15 yards, all in that Week 12 loss to the San Francisco 49ers. He was also present for five kneel downs. Much like Manny Wilkins, there's not a lot to say about Tim Boyle that does not stem from last preseason. Again, I think you keep him around. If you liked him enough to have him as your number two quarterback, you might as well bring him back for another training camp. But also, I think they should add a little bit of competition to this situation. Throw another guy out there who you think can compete with Tim Boyle, more than a developmental prospect, maybe not a lot more. 
If that's Manny Wilkins and you think he can push Tim Boyle a little bit, fine, do that. If not, at least get somebody else into camp so you've got another arm trying to improve the quarterback room behind Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers. This is a thorny one. It's tough to evaluate Aaron Rodgers. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there are a lot of takes out there about Aaron Rodgers. And as many takes as there are, I don't know if there's any consensus agreement on what Aaron Rodgers is. Or maybe, to put it a little bit better, what he was in 2019. For instance, you throw out the question, was Aaron Rodgers good in 2019? Everybody who watched him play has an opinion. The analytics are split. Some say yes. Pro Football Focus's war wins above replacement rating says he was one of the better players in the NFL. Sports Information Solutions total points metric says he was not one of, but the best player in the NFL. Even some of Football Outsider's stats say that he was at least above average, maybe significantly above average. Some of the numbers on Rodgers say no. His raw stats were hardly elite. Expected points added puts him near the middle of the pack, actually right near Jameis Winston. So that sounds pretty bad. He also laid some bags in some big games. Uh, did not play well against the Chargers on the road. Uh, that primetime matchup in the regular season against the 49ers, he was not super sharp. Even against the 49ers in the playoffs, the final stats look pretty good. The overall Rodgers experience, it's, it's hard to say he, he really elevated the team there. You start getting into questions about whether or not Aaron Rodgers is still elite. Some people say yes. Some people say no. I don't think that's the right question to ask. I think at this point, it's clear that he is not the player he once was. I think in some ways he can still be that player, but he may not be that player on a play-to-play basis. The important question then is, will Aaron Rodgers be the starting quarterback of the Packers in 2020? And the answer to that is obviously yes. Aaron Rodgers is going to be around for the foreseeable future. This year, this coming season, next season after that, and then who knows. Understanding that, I think the best thing to do when evaluating his 2019 season is to just try to put as much context around what he actually did as possible. So here are a few broad takeaways. First, I think it's important to remember that the Packers asked less of Aaron Rodgers in 2019 than they have in a long time. He had the fewest dropbacks of any season since 2015, according to Sports Information Solutions. Dropbacks are plays in which he intends to pass the ball. He had the fewest passing attempts, just the fewest pure throws of any season since 2014. He also had the most attempts, 103, behind the line of scrimmage since 2015. So passes that didn't travel beyond the line of scrimmage. 2015 is the last time he had more than he did in 2019. Also along these lines, fewer of his yards, his passing yards, came through the air than in the past. So more of the numbers that ended up in his box score totals were from receivers doing work after they caught the ball. 52%, give or take a couple fractional percentage points, 52% of his yards came after receivers caught it. 
That is a slight increase over his average for the past few years. On average, or cumulatively, excuse me, just over 50% of his yards came after the catch from 2015 through the present. Second big takeaway was that Aaron Rodgers was, in some ways, just a bit more accurate in 2019 than 2018, but still less accurate than he's been in his career to date. His raw completion percentage actually dropped a little bit. He was down from 62.3 in 2018 to 62 even this season. His passes that were ruled on target by the charting service, Sports Information Solution, we've already referred to them a couple times, actually bumped up a little bit, a percentage point from 67 to 68. His catchable passes, passes that were not necessarily on target, but that receivers had a reasonable chance to catch, went up 4%, from 70% in 2018 to 74% in 2019. He's still below his career completion percentage the last couple years. But some of this feels like it may not entirely be his fault. In fact, it's easy to foresee a situation where if he has some better receivers, his accuracy goes up even a little bit more. At least his completion percentage goes up a little bit more. However, we also need to point out that his low completion percentage wasn't just because players were dropping the ball. Drops were actually down for the Packers in 2019. They had 27 as a team in 2018 versus 24 in 2019 accuracy a bit of a concern with Rodgers. It's ticking up a little bit, but still not where it needs to be, still not where it was. Third big takeaway, and I think this is a a third pretty big puzzle piece for Aaron Rodgers, is that he still takes care of the ball really well. Yep, there's a flip side of this where maybe he should be pushing the ball down the field a little bit more, maybe trying to do a little bit more with the ball when he has it, but he's taking care of the ball really well and making sure that even if he's not making as many plays, For the Packers, he's also not taking the Packers out of games with turnovers. He had just four interceptions this season, 0.7%, best in the league. Uh, Just four fumbles, all of them lost, on 82 combined sacks and rushing attempts. Throwaways also went down for Rodgers from 48 in 2018, according to Pro Football Reference, to 31 in 2019. So, three big takeaways. The Packers asked less of him in 2019. He was slightly more accurate in some ways, but still not quite where he needed to be, and he still takes care of the ball really well. With those broad takeaways about Aaron Rodgers, what do we make of the guy? I think in 2019, he showed that he can still get it done. But he isn't elite on a play-to-play basis anymore. The super elite plays seem more like a 3 out of 10 plays, instead of like 6 out of 10 plays. That's more a feel thing than anything you can put a firm number on, but I think this is a feeling that's been growing among Packers watchers for quite some time. The frustrating thing is, it's hard to figure out exactly why Aaron Rodgers isn't elite in that way anymore. Watching him, the things that he doesn't do well don't seem to be a result of just not being able to do them, he's just not doing them. I've harped on this all season long, but stepping into the throws that he he misses is one that bothers me. He seems to just make things more difficult than they have to be all the time, fading away, throwing from a bad platform, throwing with poor mechanics. 
I've seen some people argue that this has always been the quarterback that Rodgers is, and I just don't think that's true. You can pull up a highlight tape, or even just any game from 2010, and you'll see Rodgers standing tall in the pocket, breaking it on occasion, but just standing in there and ripping the ball down the seam. Stepping into a throw and throwing a dime down the sideline of Jordy Nelson. He showed on pretty much a game-by-game basis that he still can do special things, and he can do those things that he used to. But he just doesn't. And he doesn't do it because he's making the, the easy things hard. He can still do special things, which makes him worth keeping around, especially if you're going to upgrade the talent around him. But I also think that what we saw from Aaron Rodgers is pretty much what he's going to be from here on out. I don't think he gets back to that point where he was in 2014 or 2011, where he was just otherworldly good all the time. I think he can still give you the Aaron Rodgers experience. Just maybe not on a play-by-play basis. Maybe doesn't sustain it for a whole game. Maybe it's just a quarter or a drive. I think we saw that from Rodgers in 2019. There were some drives, a high number of game-winning drives, actually, or drives where the Packers took over with a lead with four and a half, five minutes left and just never gave the ball back, where Rodgers just executed at such a high level that the other team was not going to get the ball back. But it doesn't seem like he can be that guy for a whole game anymore. So what do the Packers do with this knowledge? I don't think drafting a quarterback is the answer, primarily because I don't think there's a good chance that they'll be drafting a good enough player to justify the investment. I think to get a replacement for Rodgers, you pretty much have to be taking a guy in the first round or be taking a ton of them in middle to later rounds, like over a long period of time. I tried to get an idea of how often a developmental prospect or a less than sure thing prospect gave us a respectable passing season. So I did a pretty broad search, thanks to Pro Football References uh, Season Finder, set pretty broad parameters. I wanted to see how often a quarterback over the past decade has produced a season with a passer rating of at least 90 on 150 or more attempts. Figured 90 was a decent enough number to say, this guy can at least be a competent passer. Not great, but at least competent. And I wanted to see if he's done it for long enough that it wasn't just a fluke. Anybody can put up a relatively decent game for one one afternoon. But for 150 attempts, four, five, six games, that takes a little bit more doing. In the past decade, 53 different quarterbacks, some of them multiple times, many of them multiple times, have produced a season where they had a, uh, a, they met that statistical threshold. They had a passer rating of 90 or better on 150 more or more attempts. 31 of those 53 players were first-round picks. Another 12 were second- or third-round picks, so day-two picks. Seven were fourth through seventh round picks, and four were undrafted. If you want to get a guy who's going to be a competent NFL passer, it's pretty much got to be a day one or day two pick. 
43 out of 53 of those players. If the Packers are serious about getting a successor to Aaron Rodgers, who's actually going to put up competent-ish passing numbers, I think it's pretty much got to be a first-round pick. I think I'm more or less against the idea of trying to develop a successor. If the chances of getting a guy are that low, I think you wring all that you can out of Rodgers, then move on. Unless you have a Rodgers-like scenario where somebody really good drops all the way to the bottom of the first round, I think you get all you can from Rodgers, and don't make a move until you absolutely have to. That may be sooner than the Packers, or we as fans and Packers watchers would like to think, but I don't think they should move on until they absolutely have to. Another thing I want to do as part of this series is to take a second and look at potential free agent options at each of these position groups that we talk about. So, quarterback, free agent options. I think you're looking to get a backup here, Because good quarterbacks, good starting caliber quarterbacks don't really get to free agency. The idea that you might get a guy who's been a starter in the NFL to come in and be a backup, there has to be some extenuating circumstances. Maybe a guy who's looking to do a little image rehab or something like that. Good young quarterbacks just don't really make it to unrestricted free agency. The youngest quarterbacks hitting the the market this year are both Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota, both 26. Not old, but certainly not like first contract young. A couple thoughts about backup quarterbacks in general. I'm still skeptical of the idea that your backup is going to save your season. It worked for the Saints this year, but Teddy Bridgewater is hardly a typical backup. Josh McCown and Matt Moore in Philadelphia and Kansas City are probably more representative experiences. Basically, you're looking for a guy who's not going to lose it for you, maybe for one or two games. Let's talk about a couple big names as far as potential backups. Marcus Mariota and Josh Rosen. Rosen, I know, is not a free agent for what it's worth, but he's been in the discussion, so let's talk about him. We're looking at backups. Mariota and Rosen are two options. Mariota has nice physical tools. He's never really put it all together. I think it's fair to say that he may actually have gotten worse every year he's been in the NFL. Does have some familiarity with Matt LaFleur. His accuracy or his completion percentage, at least, went way up with Matt LaFleur in charge in Tennessee in 2018, but I think the downside here is that he's pretty much shown that he is not a long-term starter. Having Ryan Tannehill come in and do leagues better than he did this season is a pretty big-time indictment. But on the other hand, if our baseline is that 90 passer rating on 150 attempts, he can do that. And I think that he could be enough of a band-aid that if they needed him for a couple games, he could get by. He's certainly better than Brett Hundley was. He's certainly better than any of the Packers quarterbacks that 2013 season were. I think implicit in the decision to go with Mariota is that he's better than Tim Boyle. I don't know if we know that for sure. I think it's a safe bet. But I don't think you should go after Marcus Mariota unless you're completely certain that you want to move on from Tim Boyle. And maybe you are. But... I think uh, you better be certain because Tim Boyle is still potentially on the upswing here. Josh Rosen is a bit of a horse of a different color. I think he's more of a potential long-term option than Mariota, than a short-term backup. Given that he was a first-round pick and therefore has a fifth-year option, which is a good thing to have, still really young, much younger than Mariota due to that rookie contract. I think there is some real upside to Josh Rosen, too. He has some skills. He's young, and you have some time to mold him. He's a bit more of a developmental prospect 
than any of your potential other backups out there. He may not be as good even right now as Marcus Mariota is, but it it may be close. I think it is pretty close. And I think if you want to go with Rosen, this is another situation that you've got to be certain that he's better than Boyle. He probably is. Maybe he is. But you've also invested a lot of time in Boyle already. And I know that's that's a sunk cost fallacy sort of situation. But um, if you're going to develop re- or devote resources into a guy like Rosen or Mariota, you're essentially giving up on a project too. And if he was good enough for keeping or to keep around for an entire year, what's changed in your thinking? I don't think either of these guys are definitively that much better than Boyle that you'd you'd want to just give up. So there are there are some considerations there. And I realize this sounds a little bit a bit wishy-washy. And if I sound a little wishy-washy on backups quarterback backup quarterbacks in general, I think you would be correct in your assessment. Backup quarterback is more of a philosophical question to me than a should we just get this guy option? Because what are you really looking for? Are you looking for the, the guy who comes in and puts out a fire, or are you looking for a long-term option? Ideally both, I guess, but it seems like it's kind of one or the other. I think the second version in particular is increasingly rare in the NFL now, and I'm not sure how the Packers could really justify spending the resources to get a developmental prospect at quarterback, because chances are a guy that you get is not going to be that great unless you're investing really high. Special teams, not a ton to say here. I figured it was a good fit with quarterbacks because there's a lot to talk about with quarterbacks. Uh, four areas, more than four players I want to talk about. The long snapper, Hunter Bradley, is the first one. Real easy binary with long, long snappers. Either you're good enough or you're not. In 2019, Hunter Bradley I thought was good enough. That's all I have to say. Punt returners. The Packers had three noteworthy punt returners in 2019. Darius Shepard returned two punts for negative nine yards. Awesome work. Tremont Smith returned four punts for zero yards. Again, just terrific work. Tyler Irvin, though, comes in in December and returns 11 punts for 106 yards. Now, is that just a matter of Tyler Irvin being that much better than those other two guys? Maybe, but also maybe not. Sean Menenga, special teams coordinator, admitted in November that his punt returners may just not have been getting a chance to return punts because he hadn't been double-teaming opposing teams' gunners. Matt Schneidman wrote about this for The Athletic, uh, quoting now from his piece, I think it's an opportunity thing a lot of the time, special teams coordinator Sean Menenga said, when asked whether more blame lies with returners or the blockers. Menenga is referring to the opportunity for the Packers to put two blockers on each of the opposing teams' gunners. Often, he explained, opponents have a fourth and short. Menenga, who has acknowledged that he's being too conservative, has stacked the box with eight players and left one blocker on each gunner to ensure opponents don't run fake punts. It's nearly impossible to block a gunner all the way down the field with just one player, and the supposing gunners have reached Green Bay's punt returners before they've even had time to advance any significant distance. Ultimately, he decided to start doubling gunners. Uh, Tyler Irvin had some good returns, partly because he's a good returner, but partly because of that. Uh, just file that away. We're gonna we're gonna circle back to this in a second. J.K. Scott, Packers punter, was having a great year. Was really solid for the first month and a half of the season. But heading into the Kansas City game, he made a change. He started changing how he dropped the ball on his punts in hopes of gaining a bit more hang time. And as a result, his yards per punt dropped significantly. He had a month straight, four games, where he never averaged more than forty yards a kick. 
It was like 45, 46, 47 for most of the season prior to that. But heading into week 13, tinkering with that release point ended, and he never averaged less than 40 yards per punt for any game the rest of the season, except for week 15, in which the game time temperature was a frigid 11 degrees at Lambeau Field. This tinkering was something Sean Menenga told him to do. It is my contention that Sean Menenga should probably be fired if only for tinkering with something that didn't need to be fixed. Jason Wilde did a good look at this for uh, the Wisconsin State Journal. I've linked to that in your show notes. Check it out. It's frustrating to read. Mason Crosby, to round this out. Talk about special teamers. It's hard to be less than impressed with Mason Crosby. You talked about him a few episodes back when you talked about free agents, and I don't have a ton to add to that discussion. So let's just circle back to a bit of what we said in episode 274. He has been on the upswing since his disastrous 2012 season. In fact, post-2012, he's been better than he was pre-2012. I think just considering how he played in 2019, if he's interested in coming back, I would want to bring him back. I would want to go year to year if I could because he does turn 36 in September. But let's use that to transition into free agency here because Mason Crosby might be the only free agent worth considering in this particular part of the Packers roster. It's really kind of Mason Crosby versus the field here. Because if you're looking at your kicker situation, I think there's good reason to think that Mason Crosby is probably about as good as you can do as far as kickers go. There may be kickers out there in the NFL who are better, but chances are low that you're going to get one. And if you're trying to replace him from the pool of available free agent kickers or guys in the draft, I think those odds go a little bit lower even. So should you re-sign Mason Crosby? Performance-wise, yes. A big part of the, the Mason Crosby experience is being able to kick in Lambeau Field, being able to kick in cold weather, and he's good at both of those things. Just for kicks, pun very much intended, Mason Crosby versus Ryan Longwell kicking at home. In his Packers career, Ryan Longwell was 118 of 143 at Lambeau Field, 82.5%. Mason Crosby, 250 of 288, 86.8%. I did talk with uh, my colleague Gary Zillavi about this. He did remind me of the different kicking eras at Lambeau Field. Renovations have really changed how the kickers uh, approach the experience of kicking at Lambeau. And if you look at the numbers, Crosby's accuracy takes a big jump at Lambeau after the renovations in 2011, uh, which is when they closed in the the south end zone, uh, really cut down on some of the winds, made it much easier there for kickers. Still, he's pretty darn good in less than ideal conditions. So what's it going to cost? I think Robbie Gold is a pretty good example of what it could cost to bring him back. He signed a four-year, $19 million deal with the San Francisco 49ers last year, including $3 million in signing bonuses, ultimately a little over 10, well, exactly $10.5 million guaranteed. In 2020, Gold's uh, cap hit is going to be $5.1 million. And I think that's a good starting point because Crosby's cap hit was $4.8 million in 2019. Chances are that's probably a good baseline for where he would be on a new deal. Now, that sounds like a lot for a kicker, but keep in mind that Crosby's $4.8 million hit was just under 2.5% of the Packers' cap space. The cap is going to go up this year. 
And if his cap hit is less than $5.5 million or less, I think the difference should be negligible. So you're looking at about 2.5-3% of your total cap for a kicker that you know can kick well, know can kick well in Lambeau Field, and has just been a good part of the organization for a long time. If you don't have to change that, probably don't change it. It's not that big of an expense in the grand scheme of things, and he's a good guy to have around. Let me know your thoughts. What did you think of the quarterbacks and special teamers for the Packers in 2019? I would like to hear what you have to say. Leave us a comment on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, wherever you find us. I'd love to hear from you. Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to this podcast as well. It does help more people find the show. And if you want to take your support to the next level, join us at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. A dollar per month helps us keep doing what we're doing. It gets you access to some premium content as well. Got a new piece coming out this week. Keep your eyes peeled for that. But give us feedback. Let us know your thoughts. Doing that will help us make this show better, help us make this entire operation better, which in turn will help us further our mission of helping everybody become Smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, Smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.